Two good songs. Great to be able to sing. You know that chimpanzees can't sing, don't they? Think about it. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 25, despite what it said on the screen a moment ago. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified he also glorified. As I said last week, any time that I'm having a real bad time, I read Romans 8 or parts of it. Because it's just so immense in relation to it, pointing up the working of the Spirit of God and the outworking of the purpose of God. And these things which cannot be thwarted because they're secured by he who is the immutable, unchangeable, unchanging God. We live in a world which is coming apart at the seams increasingly because it is increasingly ignoring the immediacy of the Almighty. And we reap the rewards of that. And so in our personal lives, if we don't constantly have the awareness of the immediacy of the Almighty, and we try to work things through on our own, we tend to lose the plot, or at least I do. And I'm sure you find that yourselves. We hope for what we do not yet have. And that means that we wait for it patiently. We know from the witness of the Spirit of God in our hearts that we've been born of the Lord, we've been brought into his family, we've been adopted as children, adopted as sons and daughters. This is something which is permanent because God never annuls an adoption. So this is something which is secured in that which God has done in Christ. And this hope which we have in God through the work and ministry of the Spirit in us is to be sustained and we wait patiently. It's a very difficult word for an Irishman or perhaps for others. But to wait patiently is a necessity because it cannot be fulfilled in each of us before it's time. And that time will be when the hope will be ultimately fulfilled when we're gathered into the immediacy of the presence of the Lord. 
And it's good to wait and to recognize that in the waiting there will be blessing. But Paul doesn't stop there. You know, this chapter just keeps on unfolding and expanding. And I want to spend a moment or two just reminding ourselves about the intercession of the Spirit. We know that our great high priest continues to intercede for us. And the Godhead is always at one in the work which he does. And so he who is interceding, our Lord Jesus, that same intercession is occurring in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if I may just to point out one or two things which are very evident in the text. The first is that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The word which is translated helps just means to share a burden or to help to bear a burden. And you and I have found that in our lives again and again, haven't we? When the way is really rough and difficult and we're not sure, as most of us are most of the time, not sure of the future, we know that it's secured in the one who is our Savior and our Lord. And the Spirit helps. He is constantly engaged in this particular function. He helps us in our weakness. He never helps us in our strength because his strength is made perfect in weakness. And the Apostle Paul recognized this so clearly because he said again, when I am weak, then am I strong. When I am weak. Why are you strong, Paul? Because the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And it's to recognize that and the glory of it, which is a great strengthening element in our ongoing living from day to day. And then he says this, we do not know. He's going to talk for a wee while about the things that we do not, we do know. But here, just for a moment, he talks about that which we do not know. And I want this to be an encouragement to us tonight. We do not know what we ought to pray for. When we had the privilege of being in Aberdeen in the, in the church there, uh, we had a lot of students, sometimes as many, well, sometimes between 60 and 80 on a Sunday morning particularly. And again and again in my pastoral involvement with them, this was the, the sort of thing, don't know how to pray. Don't know what to pray about. Find it really difficult. And I used to shake their hands and I said, meet another one. You know, I find prayer difficult in the sense of real praying. Because we don't know what to pray for. And Paul's not pulling some sort of curtain over this. He's just exposing it. We don't know what to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So he helps us in our weakness. But it is he who does the interceding. And as I say, let this be an encouragement to us that we recognize that the ministry of the Spirit is you and I cry in our hearts. You know, I've often said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what to pray for in this situation. Don't want to take a wrong decision. Don't want to take a wrong step. Need your intervention. And I want you to clarify to me in my own mind and heart that step and that step that Jill and I ought to take or whatever it is. We don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. 
Now you'll notice it's not us who's doing the groaning. The Spirit himself intercedes with groans which are beyond words, which are the very essence of that which we, we need to lay out before the Lord. And, you know, when you're at, the, at your wit's end, just get before the Lord and, and sit. You know, just spend time with him. And then as you lay things out before him, recognize that the Spirit will intercede. You'll notice what follows here. With groans that words cannot express, because he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So here's the third element. You come before the Lord and you open your heart to the Lord, and the Lord searches our hearts, because that's what he does. And as he searches our hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, this beautiful phrase, in accordance with God's will. So you and I come before the Lord, we come before him and, and say to him effectively, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I know that as you search our hearts, the mind of the Spirit is known to you because the Spirit himself is interceding for us. And as the Spirit intercedes for the saints, he does it in accordance with God's will. And that's what you and I seek in our lives, isn't it? Lord, I want to know what you would have me do. I want to know what the direction is I should take. I want to know how to respond to this particular circumstance, how to talk to this individual. Richard Baxter, one of the great Puritans of a bygone generation, used to say that he did 85% of his pastoral work from the pulpit. 85% of his pastoral work from the pulpit. And someone said, well, what happens next? And he said, well, if someone calls me into a situation, um, he said, what I tend to say to them is, look, I know that there'll be something in Scripture which will minister directly to your situation. Allow me time to search the Scriptures. And he would usually go back within a week and say to that individual or couple or whoever it was, here is a situation in the Bible which exactly parallels that which you shared with me. He would read that passage with them. And he would then say to them, it's up to you to find the mind of the Spirit through the Word in order to outwork this situation in your own lives. And apparently he never went back more than once after that to deal with the same situation. I wonder if you and I really search the Scriptures to discover what the Lord would have us do in certain circumstances. If it be the Word of God and if it has a ministry to each of us in our individual circumstances, would it not be good to seek the mind of the Lord in that? And to recognize that the Spirit will intercede for you and me in accordance with God's will. Because that's what we want. What does the Lord say in his word? Because this is the expression of his will, isn't it? That lovely expression by Mark Twain. It's not the parts of the Bible I do understand. I don't understand that cause me the problem. It's the bits I do understand. I know what God wants of me, in other words. And Mark Twain never manages to work that through in his life. So his intercession is for the saints. 
If God be for us, Paul's going to say a little later on in this great passage, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? And then he comes into this section which is titled More Than Conquerors in the NIV translation. And we know, because this is the work of the Spirit, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of those who love him. I was listening to John Stott as a student when I was 22 years old, and he was preaching in Romans chapter 8. And I took a note whenever he was expounding this particular phrase. What does it mean, God works in all things for the good of those who love him? And he just said this, God is always working for our ultimate well-being. God is always working for our ultimate well-being. We mightn't think it good at the time. You know, something happens in our life and we think, Lord, I don't know why that's happening. But he's always working for our ultimate well-being. So that you and I might know him better. So that you and I might be brought into... uh, an outworking of that situation which will cause us to bring glory to him and just say, Lord, never thought I would thank you, but I can see now something of what you were doing in that circumstance. I wonder if we really believe that. If God really loved me, would he have allowed such and such a thing? Two people very close to me died when I was away from home. Jill and I were on holiday in 1977 in August and during the time we were away from home my mother died and I really struggled with that. We arrived home on the Friday, the morning of the funeral because normally in Northern Ireland folk are are buried within three days. We didn't hear about the situation until the Thursday night and I really struggled with it. How can that be for my good? And then I was doing some recording in Eastbourne in 1984, just before Christmas. And I had a phone call to say my cousin had been killed in a car crash. And he was the guy that I was closest to in my life. We grew up, we were double cousins. Our fathers were brothers and our mothers were sisters. So I was very close to him. And it took a long time, 1984 onwards, to get my head around the fact, well, why was Fred killed when I was away? And I got back to Northern Ireland on Christmas Eve, the morning of Christmas Eve, again on the day he was being buried. He was killed on the 22nd, buried on the 24th. Was that for my good? God works always for our ultimate well-being. And I've seen ways in which that has worked out. Those two situations have worked out ongoingly and folk that I've been brought into contact with down the years. Because this is true. Our ultimate well-being. Folk can often say, well, I know what the Lord was doing when they got the glory. You will, but you won't know all of it at one time. Because God will continue to reveal what his purpose was in those situations. Those God foreknew, he predestined And you'll notice the emphasis here, to be conformed 
to the likeness of his son. Predestination always has a focus. It's never in a, in a vacuum. Uh, my final year as a student, I wrote a 20,000-word paper on the subject would John Calvin recognize Calvinism the way it was being taught or has been taught since. And I drew the conclusion that he wouldn't because in his uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion, as he calls it, there are huge volumes and there are only two pages in all of those Christian Institutes that are devoted to predestination. And yet it's become a watchword for Calvinism or Calvinists. Predestination is about God doing that which he chooses in you and me to make us to be what he wants us to be. You're predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Not great. You're actually being shaped, and I use the word in relation to conformed, shaped to the likeness of his son. Paul talks in Philippians 1 about the things that happened to me being used for the furtherance of the gospel. You mean, Paul, when you were flogged three times, that that was for the furtherance of the gospel? Yes. When you were shipwrecked, that was for the furtherance of the gospel? Absolutely. What's God doing? He's transforming us from glory to glory, making us to be like the Lord Jesus. And it's a constructive, ongoing purpose of God, having called us, to be predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, so that he might have the glory, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, that he might be the firstborn to demonstrate the fact that you and I owe our relationship to God because the Christ is the one who's the firstborn of all creation. You know, I have, we have no idea what glory is going to be like. We'll all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Incidentally, if you're reading the book of Revelation, you'll find that reference to the last trump very helpful if you're interpreting what's happening when the Lord returns. But this whole focus here, you and I are being transformed to be like the Savior. And one day, One day when he returns, we'll all be changed. This mortal will put on immortality, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. This corruptible will put on incorruption. You'll have a body like unto his body of glory. And we have no idea really what God will require us to do in that new body. And it won't just be playing harp sitting on a cloud. You know, that ain't what it about. What's it about? So he he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see the progression in this? So what's our salvation, or to whom is our salvation owed? Anything to do with me? Anything to do with you? Don't all shout at once. Of course not. You know, we get so taken up at times by thinking, well, I've got some element of deserving in this. Absolutely not. 
this amazing grace as God bestowing upon us all of these blessings which are immeasurable each in themselves. But he bestows them upon us, not because of who, who we are. Read Deuteronomy chapter 7. And the Lord says to Israel, Do you think that I loved you because you were great? Do you think that I loved you because you were a nation beyond all other nations? He said, I love you because I love you. Nothing to do with you. All to do with him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So please don't put yourself amongst some sort of exclusive elect and think that somehow or other it's only you that God loves and that he loves you because you're elect. That's not the teaching of Scripture at all. He loves you because he loves you. And he calls Israel out of the nations, according to Deuteronomy 7, because he has a purpose for them. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he made just. That's amazing. You know, that, that God should so work in you and me that when he looks at you and me tonight, he sees you and me as justified. That's the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. It doesn't mean just as if I'd never sinned. It means that the actual righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. So when God looks at you, he sees Christ between you and him. And all that Christ is stands between you and him. And God sees us in Christ, the emphasis I was placing this morning. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, which tense is that in? You know, which tense is Paul using here? It's a past completed, isn't it? You have been called. You have been justified. In Christ you are glorified. So tell me, if you have doubts, how can you be saved and lost? You know? It's all about him. It's all about what he has done in Christ. It's all about that which he has achieved already. It's as though you're in glory already. Yeah? You are glorified in Christ. And when we talk about amazing grace, it's so amazing we haven't got a clue, really. It's beyond our ken. And I come into a passage like this, and it delights my heart. And you know what really annoys me? I can never preach it the way I want to. But I hope we've got some sort of glimmer tonight of the, of the majesty of this, which God has done in Christ and which he's continuing to do through the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. God bless you.